Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC 90.7 where you are tuning in to She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock and we are so glad you are here with us this week. We've been talking about all kinds of things and uh, with some of them we just want to continue to talk about and 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 to kind of try to bridge those gaps. Carly, you think that's a good thing for us to do is to try to take some of these dangling participles and put them all in together. What about that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, we've talked a little bit about uh, in the past couple of weeks about intersectional feminism and the difference between that and white feminism. And now we kind of want to dive into um, anti-racist feminism, which is something that uh, a term that Sharon has introduced me to, and I'm really excited to learn more about, and really seems to be the next step for you know intersectional feminism, right? Yeah, and 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 I think you know the our world language is for me language is the task of world building. So language is constantly changing, and we're adding to and taking away, and deciding to use this and deciding not to use that. And so there are new words and phrases and that come up all the time. And so. By any means, Carly, I'll go ahead and, and uh, make a disclaimer, and you can if you want to, but I am not the expert <laughs> on all things anti-racist or all things feminist uh, or all things Black feminist or womanist. So that's my disclaimer. Do you have one you want to give our audience? <laughs> uh, I would just say ditto to all of that because I'm right there with you. <laughs> But what, what I do know is that, uh, you know, in this constant evolutionary kind of changing process uh, where we are looking at places and spaces that women and in particular black women occupy, uh, it's important for us to, to think about all of it. And so um, there is the term uh, abolition feminism. And so now we're, we're going to talk today about uh, anti-racism feminism and, and, and they're kind of real similar and some of them do. Uh, can be traced back to the actions of uh, Sojourner Truth, who is, you know, my my person that I study for my dissertation. And um, so I think it's important for us to kind of look at how feminism and racism and how they are intertwined. And, and those, they're intertwined into what we call intersectionality. And um, intersectionality, we, we give credit primarily for the coining of that term to Kimberly Crenshaw. But in my research, one of the things that I proffer or that I suggest is that intersectionality was the, the actual concept uh, was going on long before the terminology. And, uh, and so when we look and we start to think about feminism and racism and how they're intertwined in this intersectional theory perspective and how, how important it is for us to look at, especially in our Western world, where Black women uh, experience, and other women of color experience racism and sexism, and traditionally, uh, right along with classism, simultaneously all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the uh, articles that I found um, from uh, race.ed, which is called um, From Feminism to Anti-Racism and when, Why We Can't Have One Without the Other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and this part says, it's only social justice if it's social justice for all. In her book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, Rennie Edo Lodge talks about how feminism was what brought her to anti-racism by helping her to think critically about social issues and oppression. However, she found herself experiencing racial marginalization, often being the only Black woman in predominantly white feminist spaces. 
Yeah. And, and, and she's saying that, and I, I'd love to read that article. So I hope that you'll share that with me. Uh, she's saying that, but we have, you know, the Combahee Collective a long time ago where, you know, black lesbian feminists realized that their voice or that they didn't have the agency that they thought they needed alongside with white feminists. That's back in the seventies and eighties. And so, yeah, this is not a new phenomena, but it may be new enough that we need to keep bringing it up because we talk about, you know, I mean, the origins of, of the feminist movement. If you look at the origins of it, you can see that the void, what was missing there primarily were black and brown women and their representation in it. So it was pretty much a white middle class, you know, woman's movement. And and so that didn't leave a lot of room for the LGBTQ plus community. It didn't leave a lot of room for the brown or black women. And so some room had to be made. And, and I, I think we said last time, I think there was a quote that we said something about uh, if you're not anti-racist, then you cannot be feminist. Mm-hmm. I think there was something along those lines, or, or maybe we said it in a positive, affirming way that if you're feminist, then you must be anti-racist. Maybe we said it more positive and affirming. But I think that is true because if if feminists are, if it's designed to end or, to end gender oppression. Okay, let's just say that's one of the definitions that we're using, that that actions by feminists are designed to use gender oppression. Then you can't just say this is the oppression only because women who, uh, uh, people who identify as women who happen to be black or brown experience oppression outside of what white women do. So you couldn't just end there. Right, yeah. And I think that's why we were talking about like, you the intersectionality piece because it is in everything and this article actually says um when certain social justice issues are discussed other social issues are shut down in equality spaces because it's not the space for that particular issue um how is it that groups dedicated entirely to working towards social justice often fall into the trap of picking which injustices are worthwhile if we only fight for women in a dominant group, are we not fighting for all? How are we not fighting for all women? There is no social justice unless it's justice for all. So to me, it's like, you know, okay, well, I'm an, you know, LGBT activist, but that also has to have that anti-racist piece in it, right? Because there are Black queer people that need, you have to take into account certain, you know, um, injustices and oppressions that are not there for white gay people, right? Um, and so, again, you have to have it in every space. Otherwise, what work are you doing, right? Yes. And, and I think from an intersectional perspective, you know, if we look at all of these unique forms of feminism that we think of, there's the Black feminist, there's the multiracial feminist, there's the transnational feminist. You know, we just can go on and on. That's why I started talking about language in the beginning, mm-hmm. because we can continue to to talk about that. But when we... When we do that, one of the things that that we start looking at or that we have to consider is this whole piece of race that's in that because it's in there. It's real. We cannot get past it. And so when we look at how racism uh, brings oppression, it's important for us to 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 consider that across all the spectrums of these types, if you will, or forms of feminism that we use. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's so important. Rennie, the woman who wrote um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, she talks about an experience that she had um, where she was 
with a group of women, um, predominantly white women, and they were discussing beauty standards, which we've discussed on this show quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, and they had picked out like a selection of cover models to discuss um, about how, you know, look at what women are forced to be, right? Um, but all of the models they had picked were white women. And oh, wow. when Rennie pointed this out, she was minimized and dismissed because it's like, well, we're not talking about race, though. We're talking about like weight and stuff like that, not understanding that the Eurocentric beauty standard is literally built on white supremacy. Like that's what it is. So how can you talk about beauty standards and not also be having an anti-racist discussion, right? Yeah. And and I think, and that's where we miss it in this. If we don't, if we don't start looking at feminism from an anti-race, looking at them as, as joint uh, Mm -hmm. going together, then we're going to miss out because, you know, the one's identity is, is is greater than just this one single axis, as they might say from an intersectional perspective. So if you don't take that into consideration, then you're really not doing the work of dismantling these systems of oppression. And that's why people like Patricia Hill Collins talks about, uh, you know, the the matrix of domination and and what really is what are we really dealing with? We're dealing with these uh, multiple systems of oppression. And so just plain quote unquote feminism that deals with gender oppression only does not cut it for the brown and black person or the LGBTQ person. So the forms of identity uh, that we use and that that we operate from, you know, women of color um, and LGBTQ queer women, a lot of people are marginalized based on both race and gender. So if you don't deal with that, then you're really only working for one group of people. Right. Yeah. And I think the anti-racism lens also brings about like so many of the systems that we talk about when we talk about social justice um, and oppression were racist systems or still are racist systems, right? They were built on that and they still operate in that way. And so how can you have a conversation about, you know, gender justice when so much of you know, what we think of as gender oppression is also tied in deeply with racism. Same thing with, you know, the LGBTQ population. And, you know, I just don't think you can have that discussion without having a broader discussion. And I think historically slash historically, we have to look and see that in the feminist movement, racism is built in there. I mean, we had this back with Sojourner Truth and, you know, with, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton or some of those women when they were doing all of this and calling for the convention and all of that, that mm-hmm. they were missed. And so one of Sojourner's works that's attributed to her, whether she actually said it or someone said she said it later, but she was asking the question then and compelling and calling people to kind of look and see that there is something outside of just gender only, because as a black woman, I'm not treated the same way as you are as a white woman. So her famous speech that's attributed to her entitled Ain't I Woman, you know, was really about saying, looking yeah. at the, the differences in white women and black women and saying, isn't that the same? And at the same time, she's calling for uh, equality. She's calling for equity. She's calling for a full inclusion. She's calling for a sense of belonging, all those things. But she's making it clear to these white women at the convention and to the white men that are there to oppose it. You're forgetting that I'm a woman, too, and I'm black. And historically, during the period of enslavement and all those things, black women were not treated the same as white women. And yet they were women. 
Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I think I think it's important for us not to overgeneralize when we're talking about feminism and, and saying that 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 thing that we call feminism is speaking uh, for everyone because it's not. I think that's a really important distinction, right? And I think that's why we were so intentional when we created this show to say that it is an intersectional feminist show because we wanted to be very clear about that, um, that we would be having these kinds of discussions and that you're not just going to hear about, you know, white feminism or the the feminist kind of issues of the day, right? we are going to be talking about anti-racism and we're going to be talking about other forms of social justice because you can't have one conversation without having the other conversations. It's an incomplete conversation if you just talk about feminism, right? And what like kind of the broad thought of feminism is. Um, yeah, I was with a group of women, in, a feminist in Southwest Virginia. And that was one of the things that, uh, that, that I was talking about. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about you know, that they were talking about things that mattered. Yes, they did matter. And we were talking about the whole abortion issue and, mm -hmm. you know, just getting them to look and to see it through the lens of a black woman and her body versus, and then access to the resources and who can travel from Tennessee to Virginia right. without it being an inconvenience, who can fly from here to there, all of those things. So without taking into consideration race and then trying to say that, hey, this is a sisterhood, this is really not a sisterhood if it's not inclusive. And so this the brand of feminism that we know the most about, that we've studied the most about, it really is for white middle-class women and, and their epistemology, their lived experience. It does not always take into account the lived experience of the brown and black woman and, and definitely the queer one. Yeah, I agree. And I think this article does a good job of pointing that out and how... Um, even when we think about other social justice spaces. So, um, you know, spaces that are advocating for accessibility rights or advocating for the LGBT community or advocating for religious diversity, right? We so often frame that from the point of view of white participants within those communities, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And usually, historically, white participants within those communities have been the first to receive any form of justice or any form of acceptance, right? There's definitely, like, you can't have conversations about the goals of those spaces and what we want to accomplish in those spaces without also having an anti-racist discussion, because that's just the... Like it's gonna happen if you want to genuinely talk about accessibility rights or genuinely talk about, um, you know, religious freedom or whatever. All of that's got to come back to looking at it through the lens of brown and black people because they're the ones that are living these experiences and their voices are so often marginalized even within social justice spaces. Well, my dissertation is entitled "Expanding Intersectionality to Include Sacred Spiritual Resistance as a Black Woman's Tool," mm. and. And, and, and that's a big title to say that even our forms of resistance, so we are trying to resist oppression, but to resist oppression as a white middle-class woman is not the same as to, to resist oppression as a black or brown you know, woman, whether it's middle-class or not. I mean, that whole race thing, that whole uh, you know, resistance to, to, to that is so important. And, and we, we seem to kind of leave it out. And, and unfortunately black and brown women have, been, it, for, sometimes this work further marginalizes black and brown women 
because the expectation is that you're going to come along and agree with everything that the dominant status quo is, is suggesting when that's not your lived experience at all. And so if you don't bring and and, and uh, you know, the unfortunate thing, Carly, sometimes this is this is the part that causes me the most consternation, because I think sometimes the experience of black and brown people is not taken into account, let alone validated. Mm, yeah. And with women, it's worse. It's it's all the more because, uh, you know, assuming that you're covering the experience of all women when really it's all white women, that's that's that misses the mark. It misses the mark terribly. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you brought up forms of resistance. Right. And like what is, you know, even how we think about protesting. Right. Um, mm-hmm. is so often through a white lens. Um, right. And there is a level of privilege in being able to go out and physically protest in the streets, right? Um, and I think those conversations aren't had enough. And I know that within the accessibility rights um, or you know groups that are fighting for disability rights and accessibility rights, they have this conversation a lot, right? Because you know, some of them have mobility aids or they are so compromised, right? And they can't go march in the streets and they're not seen as an activist or as, you know, as as much of an activist um, as someone who does. And so it's that same thing of like, we have this idea of what that means to be an activist or to be a good feminist or a good anti-racist, right? Um, When it's not not everybody can do that. And not everybody has the same level of privilege or lived experience to be able to do that. And we have to stop putting those expectations on on individuals. Yeah, and when we do that, it's kind of like the dismissing of the experiences of women of color, black women, brown women, uh, white women just, just uh, and I've been in situations and circumstances where people could not hear me because they 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 couldn't identify with me. So they couldn't hear what I was saying. And so, you know, this mainstream feminist movement, if you will, if it's only looked at through the lens of white feminists, then it's missing this whole section of other women who are forms of resistance need to be different than just that that regular one. And, and in particular for black women, because, you know, that whole feminist theory, hence intersectionality here, hence the a matrix of domination, hence all the multiple jeopardy, double jeopardy, all the words that we use to describe our experience uh, is not taken into consideration when we, as you said, when we when we form patterns of resistance, mm-hmm. that other part, which is the race, is not taken into consideration mm-hmm. by the dominant group because that's not their story. I mean, and, and I, Go go ahead. ahead. (laughs) No, you go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you a question, which was, you know, what can we do to make sure that our spaces are anti-racist, all of our social justice spaces? Yeah, that's the hardest thing, because that's the thing that no one wants to talk about. But we have to be there like a broken record Mm -hmm. and just refuse to think that we are doing the work we say we're doing if we're not doing the work of Mm anti-racism. So any of the other work that we're doing, if it's not inclusive of anti-racism, then we're not doing it at all. Mm -hmm. Because the only people who are going to benefit from it are the same people who already have the privilege and the power. They're just going to get more privilege and more power. And and I know everybody doesn't agree with this. And I hope if you're a listener that you might you might talk with us about this. But, you know, this is my perspective on affirmative action. 
oftentimes the people, and I think statistically we could support this, the people who have benefited the most from affirmative action are white women. Mm. Because white women have been able to look as if they are marginalized when really they're still white. And so they've been able to move past these situations and get promoted. And we see it in academia all the time. I mean, I think one of the lone places, one of the people that's missing, when I look on campus and I look at places and I say, where are the black women? And then even if I'm able to see the black women, where are the black women in quote unquote powerful positions? And, And that's across the board. I was looking the other day, somebody invited me to come to a a workshop. I can't even remember what the name of the school was, but I started looking at who all was there and everybody, their their chief diversity officer was a black man and everybody else was either white male or white female. Yeah. And I said, let me go look at some more. So I, I looked at another college and that was the, oh, it's Evanston, Indiana. <laughs> University of Evanston, Indiana. It's a United Methodist affiliate school. And so I was, somebody was asking me to come for a United Methodist event. And, and I looked at it and I, and I thought, well, this is why this happens like this, because it's built into the system. It's systemic. And, and so this feminist movement or any of these other movements that are to dismantle or to deconstruct any of our systems, we have to take into account race as a mitigating factor. And if we don't, then we're not doing the work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we've talked about this before, too. You know, a lot of the spaces that we are in you know, have some sort of social justice statement or goal or, you know, people know how to talk about social justice to a certain extent. They say the right things, um, you know, the visual symbols are there, right? But then when you do dig into that anti-racist piece, that's when conversations get more difficult, right? So you think, oh, I'm among like-minded people. Um, This is going to be an easier space to have these conversations in. But then you run up against the same roadblocks in social justice spaces that you do in non-social justice spaces so often. And and, and a lot of that, that is so correct, Carly, because a lot of that, especially in this whole, you know, gender deconstruction movement, um, you know, when we're looking at this, uh, we're, we're looking and we're, we're saying that oftentimes white women in particular, white feminists, they would put more more value on the issues regarding sexism than they would the issues Mm -hmm. regarding racism. And for people who experience both simultaneously, one is not greater than the other. And so it's that whole oppression Olympics kind of thing that we do. And so if we just have plain old white feminist movement and we don't take into consideration, you know, the racist kinds of actions that are built into that, then, you know, it's not going to get any better. So we, we have to do that. We have to, look at uh, that that sexism is no more detrimental than racism to the people that are experiencing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, that's, I think, one of the points this article was trying to make is that when you're in these spaces that have a specific goal in mind, like we are specifically an accessibility um, group, right? That's our focus you can't really even do that because if you're not having those, if you're not looking at accessibility through an anti-racist lens and through a feminist lens and through a, you know, LGBT lens, then you're not doing the work, right? Because you're not going to be meeting the needs of all the people within your organization and all the people you're advocating for. And I think that's a good thing that this article points out, you know, it's only social justice if it's social justice for all. 
Yeah, and that was exactly what I was getting ready to say, Carly, because it's it's almost like, you know, to have the assumption that white in our in our case, in our little time, what we're talking about, feminism, anti-racism, feminism, abolition, feminist, all of these kinds of words that white feminist, black feminist, womanist, all these things that we've been talking about over the period of time. I was just getting ready to say the same thing because the assumption would be that white women would speak for all. Mm-hmm. And that is so not comprehensive enough because if white women are speaking for all gender oppression, then they are ignoring all the other diversities that we've been talking about, whether it's differently abled, whether it's the queer community, whether it's the black and brown community. Mm-hmm. They can't possibly, my grandmother used to say it like that. She said, when you encounter somebody who says they know it all, you tell them they can't possibly know it all because you know a little bit. <laughs> and and so these white women cannot possibly speak for all women or all people who identify as women. It's impossible for them to do that because one, it's not their lived experience. So, and that's what happens often to people of color and black women in particular, when we start talking about our lived experience, it gets discounted because mm-hmm. it is not the experience of the dominant group. Right. So it, it it seems impossible and definitely improbable that the kinds of things that we say happen to us could happen to us. They just simply, they just don't believe it. They just simply do not believe it. And so we've got to be at a place, you know, where w- what we're doing and what we're saying is more inclusive. And so having an anti-racism feminism to me is is a, a modicum of inclusivity, trying to get to that place where everybody is included. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, you're exactly right. I love that, you know, you can't know everything because I know a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so true, right? And and in so many spaces, um, especially, you know, the conversations that are being had now, right, about um, all of the abortion rights and the things that we're seeing, you know, a lot of those conversations are being led and facilitated by white women. And yeah. we've got to switch that focus because it's not like we, we're not the ones that have every uh, lived experience because that's ridiculous. We don't. And we we have a very small uh, lens through which we are seeing this work. And unless, you know, white women are, you know, willing to lift up and advocate for the voices of women of color, we're never going to see the whole story. We're never going to have all the perspectives. We're never going to have all the voices at the table. And ultimately, that is a movement that is destined to not make it. It's destined to die if, if you don't open it up. And one of the things I think, Carly, that we don't really like talking about, especially as women, because we really do want to show solidarity. Yeah. But I, I think what happens when we only have this white feminist perspective that doesn't include an anti-racism uh, an anti-racist feminism. When we don't do that, one of the things that we're actually doing is we're doing the opposite. We are perpetuating the racism that we we're saying by do, by how we do it. If if it's a white feminist movement only, or if it's mm-hmm. if the lens is white feminist movement only, then we are perpetuating the very thing that we say that we don't want is we're further marginalizing women. Yes. We're saying we're trying to uplift women. And so those are the things that are are, are scary because, you know, if we don't uh, talk about race and, and, and use race in the in the work that we're doing, then we're not really doing the work. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And, and what we're doing instead is, uh, you know, we're 
in some ways we're saying you, what you your what you have or what you can bring. I was just talking to a group of my colleagues, clergy colleagues. Just uh, I had to get off the phone to get on the email with you. I mean the Zoom with you. I mean the, the get here so we could do this together. <laughs> and uh, and and so and they were like, you got. I said, no, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Got to hurry. But anyway, we were talking about uh, how race plays out in our conference. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, white women like we have we've had before we've had five district superintendents who have been women of uh, five of the 12 or five of the yeah, five of the 12 were women. Or five of the 10 were women. I don't know. It was dominant, but only one of them was black. Right. And 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 so these these kinds of things happen. So, you know, it, it, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, I guess, would be the word that I would say. And so it's so important for us to be cognizant of anti-racism or anti-racist feminists, how important that is. I agree. And I think it would be a good thing for us to explore in the next couple of weeks, um, how to build anti-racist spaces, right? So I know that you and I have taught some things, you know, some classes about building um, inclusive spaces, but really to focus on that anti-racism piece and you know, give our audience some tools maybe to take back to wherever they are, their organizations or their groups and really help to build those spaces. Because I think it's one thing to recognize that the problem exists, but then what do we do, right? How do we make yeah. sure that our spaces are inclusive and anti-racist? Yeah, I'm I'm wholeheartedly with you, wholeheartedly with you. Let's do that. Let's, let's continue the conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for being with us again this week, and we will be back with you next week and in the following weeks with some actual practical tools for you to be able to apply. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you if you've got anything to share with us. Thank you so much.